Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. Well, if you would, be turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, and as you're turning there, if we have any children who will be uh, participating in our children's class, our volunteers will be there to greet you and to instruct you in God's Word this morning. So you guys are welcome to make your way there. Um, also, as you're turning to Hebrews 13, I do want to take just a moment. I meant to mention this during the announcements, but... Uh, God's Word uh, tells us to honor those to whom honor is due. And so I did want to take just a moment to thank um, all the volunteers over Easter weekend that worked so hard uh, to make that happen, particularly for the egg hunt and the team that was involved in planning that and executing that. And so they don't want me probably to say their names, but I'm going to anyway. So thank you to uh, Monica Shreve and to Megan Bird, Sunil Goldman, and of course, Ben Moore, our Director of Missions and Outreach for all their hard work and planning and preparing and changing things when the rain uh, was in the forecast. So thank you all. Uh, thank you all so much for making that happen and for everyone the Lord brought. Yes, please give them a round of applause. We were able to share the gospel that day with 60 children and uh, their parents who were there. So what a privilege it was to be able to do that. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13. We've been on a long uh, about year-long journey through the book of Hebrews, and here we are finally in the last chapter. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 for us this morning, uh, though we're really only going to focus on verses 1 through 3, and then next week, Lord willing, we will jump into verses, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 4 and 5. So let me read Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, and then we'll take a moment to pray and to ask for the Lord's help. So Hebrews 13, beginning in verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful indeed for how good you are. We're thankful for your patience and mercy and grace that you shower us with every day because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Father, we know that the good gift of being here this morning, gathered together as your people under the truth of your word, is a good gift bought by Jesus on the cross. And so, Father, we just proclaim together this morning our thankfulness and need for the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that he right now is seated at your right hand, interceding for us. 
Father, we are here because of your goodness to us. Because you have sent your spirit to dwell in us, we can understand the truth of your word this morning that you intend to use to shape us and mold us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that very thing this morning. We pray it every single week, but we say it again, Father. We ask you to change us. Father, I pray that your word will bring conviction to us this morning where it is needed. I pray that it will bring encouragement to us where that is needed. I pray that it will bring hope to us where that is needed. Father, may your word be at work in us for our good and for the glory of your name. And so, Father, I once again ask for your help this morning. I ask that you would allow me to uh, accurately handle the truth of your word, to speak only what is true of you and of your word, and that, again, you would use it for the glory of your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we come into this last uh, chapter of Hebrews, there's a significant transition you may have noticed as we've been working our way through. We, we hit chapter 13, and it's this almost just kind of like a, a, a list of commands. It can, it can feel a little, as we hit chapter 13, it can feel a little bit like, like a parent heading out the door, uh, a couple heading out the door, and they're giving last-minute instructions to the babysitter, right? They're just, just like laundry list, everything popping into their head at the last minute. Don't forget to turn the oven off when the pizza's done cooking. Be sure they brush their teeth before they go to bed, and, and they have to use the mouthwash, but she only likes the pink mouthwash, and, and he likes the blue mouthwash, and don't let them eat too much dessert. Be sure you limit how much they eat, or they'll be, uh, they won't be calm enough to go to bed. Oh, and they have to be in bed at 8.30 also. Don't forget that. And don't forget that the stuffed bear goes on the right-hand side for little Lily, and the bunny goes on the left-hand side. If you don't remember that, there's going to be a breakdown in the bedroom, and she's not going to go to sleep for another hour. And Oh, and also don't, you know, be sure and keep the doors locked. And you just, you're thinking of everything. You're just like just a fire hose of instructions going to them on your way out the door in no particular order, no particular priority, right? Like surely locking the door is more important than what side the stuffed animals are on in the bed, right? But you're just listing everything you can think of. Well, it's tempting to get here to chapter 13, and it's this, just this list of commands that, that we can read, and it can feel like it's just this disconnected laundry list, like stream of consciousness thing coming from the author of Hebrews' head. But we have to remember there's this whole river of theology and truth flowing into chapter 13, right? There's, there's 12 chapters of Hebrews that, we've, that the author of Hebrews has been building on as we flow into these commands. And so these are not commands that stand on their own, disconnected from the rest of the book. I mean, the reality is we could spend a, an entire week, an entire sermon on each of these individual commands. So instead, we're just going to stay here for three hours and do a bunch of... No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that, right? But, but it is important to, to have them together at once to understand the context we find it in. Like, why these commands? Why here? And how is it connected to this river of theology and truth that's flowing into chapter 13? These are not disconnected from what, from what, in fact, the author of Hebrews has been teaching us. There's a, a goal and a theme that underlies these commands that has been underneath 
all of the book of Hebrews. So what I want to do this morning is take time to remind ourselves why this letter was written originally, what we have learned running up to this point. So let, let's do that review work. Let's, let's get the landscape in our minds so that we know this, what is in this river flowing into chapter 13. So I just want to remind you that the author of Hebrews wrote this book to uh, a group of first century Jews who had converted to Christianity. That's, that's who the original readers of this uh, book were. And, and we know from chapter 10 that uh, well before the author wrote this uh, letter to them, uh, they had been going through a really tough time. The end of chapter 10 tells us that they had endured significant persecution and hardship. They had faced affliction. It even says at the end of chapter 10 that some of them had been imprisoned for their faith. And then on top of that, those who sought to show compassion to those who were in prison, they, they went and cared for their brothers and sisters in Christ who were in prison. They were there to care for them, to provide food for them because prisons in those days did not provide for people. You had to have others bring you food and sustenance. And so they did that. But because they did that, they exposed themselves. They, it, it showed the world that, oh, we belong to that faith too. And so the end of Hebrews 10 says their property was plundered. They lost everything they had because of their willingness to go and show compassion to those who were in prison. But the author of Hebrews writes that in chapter 10, reminding them, he says, look, you've been through such difficult times, but God sustained you in those days. You remained faithful in those days, and he can do it again. Because you see the persecution, another wave of it had come upon these first century uh, Jewish believers and they were really struggling. The, the context of the letter seems to say that this, this group was considering walking away from Jesus because they were just tired of the suffering. They were exhausted of the hardship. And it would just be easier to go back to their old way of life, to go back to the old sacrificial system, to go back to what they were comfortable with when they weren't being persecuted in this context. But the author of Hebrews writes this book to them to say, that trade is never worth it. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on Jesus, and then the author of Hebrews spends 12 chapters unloading about the glories of Jesus Christ. That's what he's been doing in this letter. He begins in chapter one by telling us that, he's, look, Jesus is greater than any other options on the table, right? He says he's, he's more superior to even the angels, as mighty and powerful as the angels are. He is superior to them because he's the one who created them. In fact, he's the one who holds the angels together by the word of his power, just like he holds all other things in the universe together by the word of his power. The entire universe, Hebrews 1 tells us, was created through Jesus Christ. He is the heir of all things. There is nothing greater to which you can turn outside of Jesus Christ. 
He is the glorious one. And then the author of Hebrews goes on to say, but not only is he superior to the angels, he's also superior to Moses. You see, for Jews, there was nothing greater than Moses. He's the one who wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, this foundational truth of the Old Testament scriptures. But the author of Hebrews says, look, he's, he's greater than Moses. He's more faithful than Moses ever was. Not only that, he is also the great high priest There is no priest who will come along who is greater than him because he is the eternal and permanent great high priest. And not only is he the great high priest, he is the great and perfect sacrifice. He willingly laid down his life on the cross, the spotless, sinless lamb of God. And he offered up himself on the cross and Hebrews tells us that he, he took the wrath of God in our place, the wrath that we deserved. He took on himself for all who would trust in him so that we could have forgiveness. And therefore, it says in chapter 10, 14, that he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Or chapter 10, verse 18 says, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin, meaning Christ has finished the work. It says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because there was no more sacrificial work left to be done. He is the perfect, final, and complete sacrifice that stands in your place. So you see, he's saying to this group of first century Jewish believers, what what exactly are you going to go back to? He's the final word. He's the superior one. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than any priest that came before. He's greater than any sacrifice you could offer. There is nowhere else to turn. You cannot turn away from him. Therefore, the suffering you are enduring is worth enduring through. And we can look to Jesus as our example. And so as we get to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we come to the end of chapter 12, and the author of Hebrews says, Look, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom of Jesus Christ cannot be shaken, it is firm and steadfast. And so he concludes in chapter 12, verse 28, that we are therefore to be grateful and to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We are to offer to him acceptable worship. And it is right after that that we come to the commands in chapter 13. In other words, if you want to offer acceptable worship to God, you see, often we think of worship only in the context of what we just did, and that is certainly worship, right? Singing is absolutely worship. But when this says, offer to God acceptable worship, it means the worship of your life. 
that if you want to offer to God acceptable worship, then we need to heed these commands that we are given. If we want to live a life that glorifies Christ, that's a life of worship toward God, then we must do things like chapter 13, verse 1, let brotherly love continue. You see, that's, that's the river of truth flowing in to chapter 13. This is the underlying foundation. We are being told how it is that we are to worship our worthy Savior, Jesus Christ, and how we are to continue to endure together. These commands, and I think you'll see this as we get into it, I just want to remind you, these commands continue to be a command for community. It's not about individualistic pursuit of Christ. It is about a community's pursuit of Christ together which has been the theme throughout Hebrews. We are called to endure together, to worship together, to live our lives together so that we can endure to the end. So what we're going to see in verses 1 through 6 are five ways we are to worship Christ and endure together. We're only going to get to the first three today. We'll look at the final two next week. But here are the first three ways that we're being called to, to worship our Savior with our lives, and to endure together. Number one, we must love one another. We must love one another. Number two, we must show hospitality. We must show hospitality. And then finally, number three, we must remember those who are being persecuted. We must remember those who are being persecuted. So let's look at the first one. We must love one another. You see that there in verse 1, a simple, straightforward command, let brotherly love continue. Right? It's, it's interesting, however, as simple as the command is, that he says, let it continue. Right? You could have just said, love one another. That would have been a perfectly valid command, right, based on the rest of the New Testament and what it causes to. But this says, let brotherly love continue continue. And I think the point is, is that he's highlighting the fact that these first century Jews were all, uh, Jewish believers were already loving one another well, right? We saw that in, at the end of chapter 10, when they had compassion on those who were in prison, he's saying, let that kind of love continue to happen. Keep loving each other the way you have loved one another. In fact, the fact that it's worded this way, I think it makes it even more important that we're willing to review the way the entire book has called us to love each other. Because the way the New Testament calls us to love each other is very different than what the world means when it calls us to love one another. This is so important for us as we look at this command when we're being called to love each other. By the way, when I say love one another, I mean love those who are of the household of God, right? Love our brothers and sisters in Christ in a particular way. So how is it that the book of Hebrews is calling us to love each other? Well, the thing that's come up over and over again in Hebrews is that it has called us to love each other enough to hold each other accountable and to take responsibility for our walks with Christ. To look to our left, to look to our right, at our brothers and sisters in Christ, to love them enough to take responsibility, not just for your walk with Christ and your maturity in the faith, but also their maturity in the faith. 
It tells us that love looks like looking each other in the eye and sometimes telling one another that, you're, that you see a sin struggle in their life that they need to repent of, that they need to turn to Christ, that they need to battle against. Of course, we do that in gentleness and in love. But it's our role to love one another enough to be willing to speak truth to each other. See, the world tells us that love is simply affirming what someone wants, right? It's affirming what their selfish desires are driving them toward. And the world says the most hateful thing you can do is tell someone to change who they are. And the book of Hebrews says that's the very definition of love. It's to put sin to death in your life, to put to death the passions of the flesh and our sinful desires. Here's just a few examples that we've seen as we've worked through the book of Hebrews. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? That's a corporate command. We're supposed to look around at our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, look, are there, is there somebody struggling with an evil, unbelieving heart? Is there somebody struggling with a particular sin? And, and it says to us, therefore, we, we must exhort one another so that they're not hardened by that deceitful sin, so that the Lord can use that exhortation to open their eyes and to help them see the sin they're giving into, the, the passion of their flesh they're giving into. That's, that's love, brothers and sisters. Or Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. When we were in chapter 10 dealing with that passage, we saw that that word consider means to carefully study, to, to know one another well. To know one another well so that you can push your brothers and sisters along to love and good works for the glory of Christ. Or Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 and 16, which is perhaps one of the most clear examples. This is a command to us as followers of Jesus. Hebrews 12, 15 and 16 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. You see, Hebrews 12, 15 and 16 says that you and I have to take personal responsibility for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must see to it that no one, that none of our brothers and sisters that we have covenanted with in this church fail to obtain the grace of God. And that requires us to speak truth to each other. You see, the world would never call this love. <laughs> they, in fact, call it hate. But we have to hear the way Hebrews is calling us to love each other. The world calls it judgmentalism, and they call it oppressive. But listen, I don't care what the world calls it. I care what the Bible calls it. 
And the most loving thing we can do for each other is to point out sin struggles so that the Lord can use it to open our eyes so that we can be conformed and transformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's what he means when he says things like, let brotherly love continue. You see, it's that kind of love that keeps us from throwing away our confidence. That's what the author of Hebrews said at the end of chapter 10. He said, look, don't throw away your confidence. And if we love each other to speak truth, then we're helping each other remain confident in the good news of the gospel. That the cross of Jesus Christ is enough to cover those sins. The Holy Spirit that dwells in us is enough to help us put those sins to death in our life. It's enough. And so we don't have to throw away our confidence. Instead, we can turn to the cross where we find forgiveness and hope. You see, Jesus told us that the world will know that we are his disciples by the way we what? Love one another. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, this, this very truth is in our mission statement, right? We read it at the beginning. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ through gospel proclamation, biblical teaching, intentional discipleship, and what? Love for one another that we may present all mature in Christ. The way we're going to be mature in Christ in the last day, the way we're going to be able to present one another mature in Christ is by loving one another well. Loving each other the way Hebrews has called us to love each other. Now, of course, this manifests itself in ways beyond just speaking hard things to each other. There's, of course, the love of caring for one another, but we're going to see that as we continue through this passage. So, so let's, number one, let's uh, worship uh, our Savior by loving one another. Let's endure together by loving one another. But also, secondly, let's do it by showing hospitality. By showing hospitality. Look there at verse 2 with me. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, there are many layers to this command, and I know many of you are immediately wondering about the second half of this verse, right? What in the world is the author of Hebrews talking about when he says that some of us have entertained angels unaware that not some of us, but some have entertained angels unaware. And it's tempting to jump straight to that and spend all of our time on that. But we need to understand the command of the verse before we worry about this second part of the verse. So let's look and let's try to understand what the author of this book is saying to us in the first half of the verse when he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. What is this command that he is saying we should make the habit of our lives? Because notice, it doesn't just say show hospitality. It says don't neglect to show hospitality. Which means, I think, there's a natural bent within each of us to neglect this very thing. And he's saying don't neglect it. 
pursue it. Make this our priority in your life, that you're willing and able to show hospitality. Now, to whom are we supposed to show this, excuse me, this hospitality? What does it say? Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Or that's what the English Standard Version, that's how it's translated here anyway. So it's verse 2 saying that if just a random guy walks up to your house, right, that's a stranger, and knocks on the door and says, I really need a place to sleep and dinner tonight. Can I come in? Does verse 2 say, you are sinning if you don't open your door and say welcome? Right? So what is verse 2 getting at when it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers? Right? There's a place for discernment. Right? There's a place for evaluating. So, so what are we getting at here? Let's be sure we understand what verse 2 is saying in this context. Well, first, I think this verse in its context, and we'll look at other places in Scripture to help us understand this in a moment. I don't think by strangers it means anyone you don't know. Instead, I think it means brothers and sisters in Christ you may not have a personal relationship with. In other words, the word stranger doesn't mean unbeliever. The word stranger here means someone you don't know, right? But they are a, a Christian, a follower of Christ who may need your help in a particular moment. You see, in the first century in particular, when the book of Hebrews was written, there weren't Airbnbs with high reviews that could be referenced where people could go stay when they were traveling. In fact, most places that were inns or what we would call hotels or motels or places people could stay were, were extremely dangerous places. They were, in fact, vile places full of filth. And it would have been dangerous to stay mo in most of those kinds of situations in the Roman Empire. Therefore, when Christians would travel, when they would go places, whether it was just a, a Christian family traveling or whether it was a missionary or a church planter like Paul or Timothy, when they're traveling, they needed a place to shelter for the night or for the week or for the month. They needed a place of safety. They couldn't stay most of the time with, with un unbelieving Greeks because they were under persecution. Uh, oftentimes, even the Jews were persecuting them. And so where is it they could go that was safe? Well, they had to stay with brothers and sisters in Christ. And it very well were, would have been people that they would not have had a personal relationship, but they had sent word from a sister church and said, look, this is so-and-so, uh, a faithful brother or sister in Christ. Could you... Allow them to stay with you for the night. Therefore, the author is telling us that we need to be ready for those kinds of opportunities to serve other believers. Now, some would argue that this is referring to anyone we don't know. But let me tell you why I don't think that's what verse 2 is talking about. If you look at a few other places where this, this exact same word is used, it's clear that it's referring to showing hospitality to other believers. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that you should never show hospitality to an unbeliever, right? These are not mutually exclusive commands. I'm just saying, what is the author of Hebrews focusing on here? 
And it's also important to realize that in verse 2, when it says, show hospitality to strangers, that's four words in the English and the original language. That's one word. That whole phrase is represented by one word. And the other places that word is used in Scripture is just translated, show hospitality. The, the word stranger is not even added, even though it's the exact same word. So, for example, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. One another meaning other believers. Keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Same word, same command, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Or Romans chapter 12, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Same word, same command. So it seems to be that the other places that the New Testament authors use this word, they're talking about showing hospitality to brothers and sisters in Christ, even if we may not have a long-standing relationship with them. Now, what does this mean for us, right? It, because in our culture, in our day, in our time, Airbnbs, there are some questionable ones, I'm sure, but for the most part, right, you can find a five-star review, stay in a safe spot, you can find a safe hotel to stay in over, so it's, uh, overnight, so it's a little bit of a different situation. So, so what, is, what is the takeaway from this for us? What are we being commanded to do here? I think the point is that we should see our homes, the places that we live, as places of service for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what this command means when it says, be willing to show hospitality to strangers. It means whether it's believers you know or believers you don't know, that your home is a tool that God has given you to serve brothers and sisters in Christ, to serve those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And that can look lots of different ways, right? It may look like missionaries coming home uh, from the field and they're home for a week or a month or six months. And when they're here, they need a place to stay before they head back overseas. Your home can be a place that they can stay. That's one way you can show hospitality to them. You may not know them. You may not have a personal relationship with them, but hey, they're a brother or sister in Christ and you can provide a place for them. It may be that uh, someone in our church or a brother or sister in Christ in a, another church, their home can't be occupied for some reason, right? Maybe a natural disaster or a water leak or something's happened and they can't be there for a while. And so you open your home up so that they can stay with you for a little while and you can care for them in that time of their lives. It may mean having families over for dinner where you can sit around the dinner table together and talk about the things of the Lord and get to know one another and talk about what's going on in each other's lives. It may look like hosting a life group. I'm so thankful for those in our church who open up their homes every week to host a life group so that we can gather there in a home to get together to talk about the truths of the gospel I mean, we can list endless possibilities for what this looks like, but the, the overarching point is that our homes are gifts from God, not just to serve us, but to serve the kingdom. And so what it looks like to show hospitality is to use our homes as a tool to serve others as they pursue Christ. That's what this is calling us to do and to be. 
And by the way, it's interesting that in 1 Timothy 3, one of the qualifications to be an elder or a pastor is that you be someone who shows hospitality. This is not an insignificant command. It is a significant command that we are to run after and pursue together. Now, I know you're all thinking, you know, that's interesting, but let's get to the odd part, right? Let's get to the entertaining angels unaware part. So it is here, so let's talk about it. But just as a side note, just a quick side note, sometimes the odd, strange parts of Scripture that draw our attention the most are not actually the most important part. Right? We often spend a lot of time pursuing these things, and it is not bad to pursue it. We should seek to understand every single word of Scripture. But sometimes we pursue the odd parts so hard we forget the obvious parts right in front of our face. And I think God would say to us, it's okay if you get the second half of verse 2 wrong if you're pursuing showing hospitality to believers, right? Get, get the main part right, <laughs> And we'll do our best to figure out the other part. So what does verse 2 mean when it says, Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Well, I think on just the surface of it, I think it's simply the author of Hebrews looking back into the Old Testament and remembering a time when there was a man by the name of Abraham who encountered three strange men who showed up. Genesis chapter 18, these three men showed up and Abraham showed hospitality to them. He, he was frantic and hustled around and to prepare a meal for them. He had Sarah help him and he prepared a meal and he brought them a meal. He showed hospitality to these men that he did not know and guess what it turned out to be? They were angels. And they were sent to bring God's promise to Abraham and Sarah that around this time, the next year, Sarah was going to have a child even though she was well past childbearing age. And then they move on from making that promise to Abraham and they move on to go to Sodom to rescue Lot before the judgment of God rained down on that wicked city. In other words, yes, there are times this has actually occurred. I think that's what the author of Hebrews has in mind when he says, look, thereby some have entertained angels unaware that they provided hospitality for these strange men and it turned out that they were angels. He is not saying, therefore that your motivation for showing hospitality should be, hey, if I do this enough, I may get to serve dinner to an angel one day. Right? That, that's not the point. He's just saying, look, this has happened. It's happened in the past. Nor does it mean, by the way, and I think we're often tempted to go here, and you may have said this before or thought this before, so I'm not coming down hard on you, but I, it also doesn't mean that God has random angels stationed around Raleigh like looking like they have need and he's testing you to see if you're going to show hospitality to them or not, right? That, that's, that's not what he's getting at here. I think ultimately what the author of Hebrews is getting at is saying, look, you should serve those who are in need and ultimately you never know what God is accomplishing through you when you do that. You don't know how God intends to use that simple moment of providing hospitality to brothers or sisters in Christ who are in need. In fact, it can be so outlandish that there was even a time where someone entertained angels without knowing it. 
So be ready to serve God by opening your homes for the sake of the kingdom. And in that way, we glorify Christ, we worship him, we love one another well, and we, he, and we help each other endure by being prepared to share our homes, to provide shelter, and to meet physical needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ when they are in need. So we worship Jesus. We endure together by loving one another. We do it by showing hospitality. And then finally for this morning, we do it by remembering those who are persecuted. By remembering those who are persecuted. Look there with me at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Again, it's really important to remember the immediate context and the context of the book of Hebrews as a whole. Because if you just quoted Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, and you pulled it out of the book of Hebrews, and you just read that command on its own, it would look like what the author of Hebrews is saying to us is that we need to remember everyone who's in prison, right? Every criminal who's in prison as though we were in prison with them. Now look, I am not saying there is not a place for prison ministries. I am thankful for them. One of my dearest friends in the world is over a Christian college that is in a prison where he educates prisoners and helps them get their college degree. I, we should be about that. But that is not what Paul, uh, the author of Hebrews, excuse me, is talking about in verse 3. Remember, Hebrews chapter 10 says that there were those who were thrown in prison. Why? Because of their faith. This is about Christians being persecuted and being imprisoned and being mistreated. And when our brothers or sisters in Christ are being persecuted and mistreated, we should love them as if it was happening to us. That's what this is saying. Remember those, your brothers and sisters in Christ, who are in prison for their faith as though you are in prison with them. Remember those who are mistreated because you also are in the body. They are part of your body, right? When you are part of the local church, you are united and knit together in Christ. And so when they're mistreated, it's as if you're being mistreated. And so you care for them and you love on them as if it was happening to you. We should, it says, remember them as though we are in prison with them. In other words, it's just another way of giving a specific application of what's often called the golden rule. Right? What did Jesus tell us? Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. If you are the one in prison for your faith, if you are the one being persecuted for your faith, if it was your spouse in prison, if it was your child in prison, if it was your family in prison, what is it that you would do to them, for them? Remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. In other words, you can't just look at the situation and say, brother, man, that's terrible that your wife's in prison. I feel really bad for you. I'll be praying for you. No, it says you pursue that brother in Christ as if it was your wife in prison. Right, you just wouldn't 
move on if that happened to your family, right? No, you would be active, right? They're a part of your body. Therefore, we must act to care for them. It means we visit them in prison. It means we go and care for them. It means we don't care what the cost is of saying, yeah, we're one of them too, right? If they're being persecuted and mistreated, you don't hide in a corner. No, you do what's necessary to care for those who are in need. It means, look, let's just be real about this, right? This is a real current thing, It means that when a brother or sister in Christ might lose their job because of their refusal to celebrate LGBTQ Pride Day, that we're going to be the ones who are willing to stand with them and provide for their family when they're in need. If needed, open our homes to them. Remember the previous command, right? Show hospitality. Right? When they're mistreated, we're willing to do what is necessary to, to care for their children. Right? What would you do if you lost your job? You would be actively pursuing a job, right? trying to find something. So if you're going to act as if you're in that situation, what do you do? You help them find a job. Right? You give energy and effort to helping be sure their family is cared for. You act as if it's happening to you because they're part of your body. Look, this isn't theoretical. This is real. And we need to be ready to love one another in this way. When our brothers and sisters, when our fellow believers are mistreated, we must be ready to stand with them as if it was happening to us. You see, this is where we see this river of truth and theology flowing into verse 13. Because these first century believers were being tempted to give up on Jesus. And when the persecution comes, that's the temptation we're all going to face. Right? When it gets hard, and when you're faced with that moment of saying, I keep following Jesus, or I can't provide for my family. Right, if I keep following Jesus, I have to pick between this and providing for my family. What do I pick? And verse 3 says, let's remove that dilemma for our fellow believer. They remain faithful and we're going to provide for their family. Right? We stand with each other so that we, by God's grace to us, are not in a position where we're tempted to throw away our confidence. And we help each other remain steadfast and faithful. And we care for one another as if that very persecution was happening to us. We help them not give up on Jesus because they see the love of Christ through our hands and through our feet. And therefore, it's an act of worship, right? It's that worship that we saw at the end of verse 12. We're offering to God acceptable worship. That's the worship that King Jesus deserves. And so the author of Hebrews is calling us to continue to love one another. He's calling us to not neglect showing hospitality to one another. And he's calling on us to remember and care for those who are being persecuted as though it was happening to us. These are acts of worship to help us endure together for the good of the body and for the glory of Christ. Let's pray together. 
Father, just as we sang uh, before the sermon began, all our lives you have been faithful. You have indeed been so, so good to us. And we don't deserve any of it. Father, I am so thankful to be in this church where I know these very things we are talking about this morning are happening. I'm thankful to be in a church where we, uh, by your grace, love one another enough to say and speak hard truths to each other, where we, we, we love each other enough to open our homes so that we can serve one another and get to know one another and be an example to each other and disciple one another. And Father, I'm so thankful that I know when the day comes, if one of our families is mistreated or persecuted, I'm thankful that I know, I have every confidence that this is a church that will sacrificially love on each other and provide for each other as if it was happening to them. But Father, we confess that in our own strength left to ourselves, we will never carry out any of these things. We need your Holy Spirit to work in us. We need your Holy Spirit to give us the courage and the confidence to faithfully walk in obedience to these things. And Father, I pray that you would help us to do that, that you might be glorified in this church and that the watching world would see the way we love each other and know that we are your disciples. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.